Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Before I get going, yes, I am an NC State fan, but I, I get that legitimately. Uh, uh, I've got a couple of daughters that went to NC State. I've got a brother. I've got uncles. I've got cousins. I mean, all of my family went to NC State, so um, that's why I'm that's why I'm a NC State fan. And, and I guess I just I just love the pain that seeing NC State never win anything big. So maybe that's part of it too. I feel in a little way like Job. But anyway, so so I've got uh, my wife uh, is is at home. She's uh, she works as as a secretary treasurer at uh, at Southwest Randolph Middle School. My I've got four grown kids. I've got five grandchildren. The youngest one's a little bit over a year old. Uh, the thing is, I am not called Grandpa. I'm not called any of those old names. They call me Big Daddy. That's my name. Is Big Daddy. So everywhere, when I go to restaurants here in town and stuff, and the grandkids are with me, they always call me Big Daddy. So now the people at restaurant call me Big Daddy. The people at church call me Big Daddy. You can call me Big Daddy. Just don't call me Grandpa, okay? So today I'm going to be, I, I, was, I, I had a message written today. I worked on it all this week when I talked to Jernigan last week, and we worked out that I was going to be here I worked on a message all week and had the message all written out and then this Friday came and one of the things that we do at Crestview is there's a few guys that comes and drinks coffee every morning during the week. We get about 7 a.m. There's, there's about four guys that always shows up and we just drink coffee and hang out and, and, we, and, I, and we talk about all kinds of stuff. We just drink coffee and hang out. It's good fellowship and, and one of the guys we started talking about scripture and talk, talking about the Lord and talking about the the things of the Lord and when we got done talking I said said man you have just messed me up because I have been working on this message all week and now I'm gonna have to throw that thing away and do something else so thanks a lot so I had to do a little scrambling this weekend but that's okay sometimes the Lord changes direction but this is this is the way I want to start out um I, I don't know if you've ever heard of this author Philip Yancey have you ever heard of him He's a great, great Christian author, and there's a book, if you could put, Finding God in Unexpected Places. He, he, he writes in a way that, that I just get. I mean, when he writes stuff, it's like, man, I, I just get it. I just get his stuff better than anybody else. And he tells this story of he is in Yellowstone National Park, and, and he is there to see Old Faithful, that he is there... Um, he's actually in the Old Faithful Inn. Evidently, or there obviously is a is an inn in a in a place that has a restaurant there. This part of the inn that overlooks this geyser, Old Faithful. Y'all know about Old Faithful, right? You've heard about that. And he he said that he was in that restaurant eating, 
and uh, just enjoying the food and stuff. And, and part of, part of the, the deal was there was a big clock in the restaurant that counted down when Old Faithful would erupt, when, when the water would spew out and, and, and people would do all their things. So he said while he was in the restaurant, he started noticing people down by the guys or by Old Faithful that they were, they were all standing around and they, they had their cameras ready and their video and all that. These people would come over from all over the country and all over the world to, to see Old Faithful. And he was in the restaurant eating and he was watching the clock and, and watching the countdown. And he said when it got to one minute before Old Faithful did its thing, he got up from the table and, and everybody else got up from their table and went to this big window that, that oversaw Old Faithful. And they were, they were there just watching it and, and the countdown went on. And when the thing got to zero, here comes Old Faithful and the water gushing out of the geyser and in people inside and outside, you could hear the oohs and ahs, how beautiful it was and, and how, how nature can do this thing and be on time every time. And, and he was just so excited about it and hearing all the oohs and ahs and was enamored by it himself. And he said while, while he was in the restaurant standing at the glass and, and watching this for, I don't know how long it goes, but he, it, evidently it's for a while, that he was watching it, and, and all of a sudden, uh, he just happened to look back at the table where he was sitting at, and he said when he looked back at the table, there was busboys and waiters and waitresses. They were cleaning up his table. They were taking the old dishes, and they were filling the drinks, and wouldn't doing it only at his table, but, but doing it at all the other tables. And, and he was just so wild with this geyser, but these people here were just not even paying attention. And it got to the point where it kept going on and he kept watching this geyser going up and up. And, and then he just kept, and he looked back and he said that the folks had already cleaned up their tables, the busboys and the waiters and waitresses had already cleaned up the tables and they were just standing there just talking to each other. They, they weren't even looking at this big natural wonder, this old faithful and, and, and how majestic it was and how beautiful it was and how awe-inspiring it was that this thing was doing this and, and this is what he said if you could put this quote up this next quote of what he said it says old faithful grown entirely too familiar had lost his power to impress them so I'm going to be talking today about the crucifixion of Jesus. That's where I'm going to be in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 15. One of the things that I've done at Crestview, and, and I don't know, I didn't, I didn't plan on doing this. It's just the way it went. It, during COVID, I was um, trying to figure out what, what I'm going to preach and what series I'm going to preach. And just thinking about it, I said, you know, uh, a lot of people, when they preach from the Gospels, they preach from... Matthew and Luke and John for for good reasons you know Matthew and Luke has got the the birth story of Jesus John has got all the quotable quotes in it and, and Mark it seems like a lot of people kind of bypass Mark because it's it's the shortest gospel it's got just 16 chapters and and a lot of the stories are real abbreviated there are some that are a little bit longer but in for the most part, in all the other gospels, the stories are are larger and it's got more details about it and all that stuff. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to preach through Mark. And, and I'm going to, and, and since not many people go through that, and since that's not the most uh, biggest one that most people go through, 
I, I'm just going to preach through this thing. And I'm just going to, and I started in August of 2020, and I am still not done. I'm in Mark chapter 15. So I have been going through the Gospel of Mark for three years, over three years now. Isn't that crazy? But one of the things that has happened with me is that, that I've, I've got this, oppor- this wonderful opportunity to just study Jesus' life and really focus on Jesus' life and really focus on the gospel. And I'm telling you, boys and girls, that has changed me. I'm a totally different man, and I'm a totally different Christian than I was before this started. Because I'm telling you, when you go in and you focus on Jesus and really and really study his life and see what he did, his ministry and all that, man, it changes you. And, and it, when I was thinking about this story here of, of Old Faithful, that, that when it gets to the stories of Jesus, I think we're like the bus boys at the Old Faithful Inn, that we've heard these stories of Jesus so many times. We, we've read these stories and stuff, and we just go right through them. When the preacher preaches about them, we just, oh yeah, I've heard this before, and yeah, the crucifixion of Jesus, blah, 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 yeah, we got to hear it every Easter, and every once in a while when I read through it, it's, uh, yeah, that's right. And, and it gets to the point of where, where I believe for way too many Christians, the story of the crucifixion has lost its luster. We're, we're not looking at it anymore and going, wow, this is what Jesus did for me, it's like, Okay, this is it's Easter, and this is when the preacher preaches about the crucifixion, so let's just go through it and be done with it. Guys, we, we should never get to that point in our walk with Christ. I mean, every time we see Jesus, and especially think about him at the cross, it should change us. We, we should stare at him. We should, we should be just so thankful for what he did, a whole lot more than old faithful. So what I'm going to do today is the scripture is up here, and and this is from... Mark chapter 15, I think it starts at verse 33, yeah, and and I'm just going to go through these verses here. Can y'all see that? I'm glad I got my contacts in, because if I didn't have my contacts in, I wouldn't be able to see that. But I'm going to read through it and go, so this is is the crucifixion story, what's going on right here. And and I am also, and this is something that's that's helped me out when I'm at the prison, these guys, the, the guys that, that sit in, and there's about 50 or 60 in there that, that come about every Sunday now, and, and they, they, it's, it's an interaction time. And, and I don't, a lot of times when I'm up there preaching, I'll start preaching, and then one of the inmates will raise their hand and say, hey, I got a point, I got a question. And I'm telling you, that works incredibly well because those guys got all kinds of input, and, and I'm, not a, I'm not a monologue guy anymore. I'm not a guy that's just going to come up here and talk for 30 minutes. So y'all better be ready. Y'all ready? It's like, man, I didn't ask for this. I just want to get in here and get a message and get home. Well, anyway, it says right here, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Darkness, complete darkness for three hours. Y'all know this story, right? Y'all know this story? Is anybody here? Yeah, it's, it's three hours, and, and it's darkness. And, and, and just thinking about this darkness, this is a divine darkness. This is, this is no solar eclipse or lunar eclipse or anything like that that people have tried to make it out to be. This is three hours. This is dark, dark. This is a divine event. 
one of the things I think Philip Yancey said this is, is when we, people talk about nature now, what do they talk about? Mother nature. This, this situation, this, this crucifixion of Jesus, this was such a big event that, that even nature turned dark. So Philip Yancey said that, hey, it's, we, we say nature is our mother, mother nature, but he says nature is not our mother. Nature is our fallen sister. So nature was also affected by the death of Jesus. Isn't that good? That's good stuff. And, and then another thing that I think about when I think about darkness here, and I don't know, this is just Jerry thinking through Scripture. I've had a, I've had a lot of time in Mark. I've had a lot of time going through the Scripture. But thinking about darkness, I could just, I could just see God that when Jesus is dying and, and he is there at the last part, that God just turned his head from the earth. He just couldn't stand it anymore. And in my mind, thinking about that, that's why it turned dark, is God just turned away and everything turned dark. And then it goes on to the next verse right there. Uh, and at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. I don't know if I said that right. I had a professor that said, if you're somebody and you're up here reading scripture and it's stuff that you can't pronounce, you just do it. You do it with conviction. It don't matter if you do it right or not. You just do it with conviction. So guys, when you're reading, if you're reading scripture publicly and somebody said, read this and you don't know, you don't, you just say it with conviction. Say, that's the way it is. So I didn't, I know I didn't say it right, but he, it said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about this, guys. Here is Jesus. He is at the last moment right before he died. And, and Jesus has been, he is, he is completely alone. He is completely abandoned. Think about that. Like Rome, the country Rome, the, the occupying Rome has condemned him to death. His disciples have abandoned him. His own nation has abandoned him. And who else has abandoned him? God has abandoned him. Have you ever considered this? Here is the Father and the Son. We know about the Trinity, Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The three in one have always been together and united throughout eternity. They've, they've never been apart throughout eternity un, until right there. I mean, I, th I think about, I don't go on a whole lot of trips, but, but when I go on trips and, and I'm away for a few days and I come back, I, t I tell you what, I, I miss my wife, I miss my family, I want to be back home with them and and uh, I long to be with them. And just think about right here that, that Jesus has, has finally got it. And, and again, I, I, I can, in my mind's eye, I can see God just, just turning His head and turning His head from earth and, and can, can no longer just stand to see what is happening to His Son. And, and while that's going on, that, that Jesus is screaming out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, this is a, this is a big event. Like in... In all of history, now the Father and the Son have been divided. Have you ever, you ever thought about that? 
Some of you thought about it, some of you have not, but it's, it's just a, all of eternity's sins have now, have now come upon Jesus, that, that now everything's upon him, and he is there on the cross in a lot of ways, even the, the Jews, the disciples, the Romans, and now even the Father. He is, he is all alone there. I was thinking about some scripture here in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I, I think about what Jesus did on the cross. Do you, do you understand what this, what this cross means and what Jesus did on the cross? Do you get it? I mean, he died to save us from our sins, but what does that mean? That's part of the message I was writing that I, that I got done, and maybe the next time I'll come, I'll preach that. But here's the thing. Think about, uh, what is it, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He who had no sin became sin for us so that through him we might have the righteousness of God. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? Do you know what it means? Yeah. So Jesus, Jesus is on the cross, and Jesus, he's, he's perfect, right? Sin, sinless, sin-free. But what did he do? He died for us, but what did he do when he died for us? He took on all of our sins. He took on all of our sins, and it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he took on all of our sins, but, but from, the, from the sins that we that we gave to him, that he took from us, what did he give us? Say it. He gave us eternal life, but see, that's what we always say. That's what we always say. But guys, see, one of the things that I do, I'm a really, really simple guy. Really simple guy. And I want to make Scripture as uncomplicated as possible. Because we, we use... We use a lot of Bible terminology, and when we talk to people on the outside, we give them Bible terminology. Well, Jesus, Jesus died for our sins, and because he died for our sins, we got everlasting life. Well, what does that mean? Well, what happens, think about 2 Corinthians 5.21. Boy, I've got some other good stuff, too. If we got all day, I can tell you some good stuff. But, but what, what happened was, when Jesus died at the cross... All of the sins of humanity, including mine and yours, were, came upon him and were, were brought upon him. He took all of our sins, and when he took all of our sins, he gave us something else. And you said everlasting life. That is a correct answer. But what he get, gave, let's see, 2 Corinthians 5, he who had no sin, he took all of our sin, and what he gave us was his righteousness. So he took all of our sins and he gave us righteousness. He gave us the good stuff. We, we're now, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and because we've accepted it, now we are right before God because his holiness, his perfectness and stuff, he, he, he took all the sins, but he gave us his perfectness, brother and sister. That's how we're right before God. It's not because we're good. It's not because we did all these good deeds. It's only because of what he did on the cross. There should be an amen in here somewhere. I don't know where that is, but it should, it should come really soon. 
Because, guys, we understand there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. It's only what Jesus did on the cross. And His perfectness that He had on the cross when we accept what He did has been poured out upon us. Man, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. So let's continue on here. Well, we got two screens. I'm going to this one because this one's closer. It says here, uh, when some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Do you see why they think he's calling Elijah? Because Eloi, Eloi sounds a little bit like Elijah. And, and, and it says, someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave them alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. So here's the thing about Elijah. There's, there's some old wives' tales from back in the Old Testament, back in the day, that they believed that if someone who is truly righteous is dying, that Elijah comes and rescues them. That's an old wives' tale. So what is happening in, is going on in this story. This is something that, that they believe is going to happen. And actually, I, well, from doing some research on this, there's some recorded stuff that says that, that something's recorded in the in some of the Hebrew writings it says that, that there was one time that this man was really righteous and, and he, was, he was wrongly condemned and he was getting ready to die and here comes Elijah and rescues him from wherever he was at. Well, well see, they've heard, they've heard this and they know this story and when they hear Eloi, Eloi, they go, oh, Elijah's here. Elijah's come. Where is he? And remember, it's pitch dark and they're, they're holding up Lights are holding up. I don't know what they're holding up. Some kind of flame or something to see. And I can imagine, here they are, just looking around. Where's Elijah? And they want to keep him alive. So they give, they're trying to give him something to drink and, and keep him alive because they said, man, we want to see this. So you see what's going on? There's a lot of stuff going on here. You've got darkness. You've got uh, him saying, God, why have you forsaken me? You've got people looking for Elijah. And then it says right here, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And in this last verse for right now, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Y'all know about that, right? So why was that curtain torn from top to bottom? What does that signify? Y'all heard that? It was torn from, from top to bottom also. So what does that mean when it's torn from top to bottom? What would y'all say? I'm not going anywhere till y'all answer. It's, it's, it's like God, right? God, God is the one. And from what I understand about the curtain, it is so thick that it's like humanly impossible to tear. But, but this tearing from top, top to bottom said that now God has torn that and opened the door up. And y'all know about the Holy of Holies, right? And, and back in the day, what, what happened with the Holy of Holies? Who, who could only go in there? A high priest, how often could he go in there? Once a year. So you got the high priest going in there once a year, but what, is this, what does this do? When, when, when Jesus died his last, cried his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn into, what, what, what does that mean? When it eliminated the old way, allow anyone. Who does that include? Me and you. So you see what's going on here? As we're going through this story. So there's, there's, there's a whole lot more going on because it talks about in Mark's gospel the, the temple of, 
the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Y'all remember what happened in Matthew, what Matthew's gospel talked about, what's going on here at the crucifixion. When Jesus died, what else happened? The, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, but you Bible scholars, what else happened? You remember something about the graves? The graves open up and the saints come out. Boy, isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy when, when Jesus died, all these things were going on? And, and again, I'm, I'm, thinking about, I'm thinking about this story here. And, and boy, that's pretty heavy. It's, it's, uh, you, got, you got darkness for three hours. You've got, and I can imagine, I'm thinking through this story. You've got some people that are still just yelling at Jesus. Oh yeah, you think you're something. Come off this cross. Come on down. Get down from here. <clears throat> you can think also, <clears throat> excuse me. I've been preaching more than once today. But, but another thing that was happening too is, is I could imagine these, these ladies, remember there were some ladies that were around the, the crucifixion, and I can could, I could imagine there's some crying going on. I'm, I imagine that there's people just hurling insults at Jesus. I, I can think of the darkness. I can think of people running around looking for Elijah. I, I can think of uh, as the graves were opened up with these saints, uh, people were going, oh, oh my goodness. And then somebody's saying, the curtain just tore in two from top to bottom. How in the world does that happen? So there's all kinds of distractions. There's all kinds of craziness going on. There's all kinds of spectacle. And I can imagine people are just looking everywhere. They're looking at Jesus, but they're looking everywhere. What in the world's going to happen next? And then I think we get to a verse that most people just kind of go right through and they skip on to the burial and the end of the story of the Gospels. Let's go to the next verse here. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. What do y'all know about centurions? Y'all know anything about centurions? They're Romans, Roman soldier. Centurion, how many people was he over? A hundred. Centurion, to abbreviate that to century, century is a hundred. He is over a hundred people. Think about the centurion here at the crucifixion. More than likely, he is the leader of the soldiers. He is the leader of the crucifixion soldiers. So every day or every time that the Romans say, okay, it's time for, it's time for crucifixions, this Roman centurion, he gets, he gets his soldiers together and say, okay, this is crucifixion day, guys. We've got to get these guys up here. We need to get them crucified. And you all know the drill. You know what you've got to do and all that. So that centurion, day after day or, or how often they did it, they would, he would get, he would round the troops together, the hundred troops together, and he would go and he would just get, get folks there and say, okay, it's crucifixion. Can't you imagine that this centurion was like the waiters and the waitresses and the bus boys at the Old Faithful Inn? That there had been so many crucifixions that he had taken a part of. And he'd seen so much agony and seen, he'd seen so much pain and so much screaming and all that stuff. He had been do, doing it for so long that he didn't even notice it anymore. Can you imagine that? What's going on? And think about this also about the centurion. If you were a betting man, you would put your money on this would be the last guy 
that would ever say something about Jesus. You ever thought about that? He is, he is a Roman. His job is to crucify people. He's done a whole lot of crucifixions. He is a guy also that, I mean, he is an enemy of the Jews, enemy of Jesus. He, he knows that he got the edict from Pilate that this man needs to be crucified. Evidently, he's a condemned man, so he's got to go. I mean, the centurion would be the last one. And here's another thing that's kind of interesting from doing a little bit of research, is that the, the Roman emperors back in the day, they, uh, they thought a whole lot of themselves. They thought they were something. And one of the things that Roman emperors like to call themselves, you want to guess what they like to call themselves? Not only, what did they, what did they call themselves? The Son, Son of God. They, they thought really highly of themselves and thought that they were the Son of God. They wanted to be called, when you call, you didn't call them Pharaoh or Emperor, you called them Son of God because that's one of the ones, they thought they were something. They thought that they were literally the Son of God. Two months ago, in July, we took our family vacation. We all get, how many of us now going? I think it was 14 of us went this time. I got a big family. But we went to Myrtle Beach, and, and when we were going to Myrtle Beach, we, we heard of a, a show that, that, that someone talked to me about and said, hey, one of your grandchildren would really like this. My, my son... Ezra is a huge Michael Jackson fan. He can, he can dance the whole Billie Jean song. He can dance the whole Billie Jean song. It, it is the most incredible thing. And I'm telling you what, one of these times when I come up here to preach, I know this might not be right, but I'm telling you, if you played Billie Jean there, he would do the whole thing. It is amazing. So, there at Myrtle Beach, we heard that there was a legends. You know, there's this legends thing. You see that? There's this legends thing that goes on, and, uh, and there's a Michael Jackson there. And Ezra went to that, and you see the picture there with Michael Jackson. Well, Ezra had a great time, and actually, when it got to the Billie Jean song, I know Ezra, is he jumped right out there, in the aisle, and he started doing the whole Billy Jean. He did it better than Michael Jackson. And there was people, it was so funny, because they had the lights way down low there for the audience, so everybody would be focused on there. But, but oh, Ezra, he was going at it so good that the crowd went, and started looking at him. But here's the thing is, Ezra, he loved the show, and he loved Michael Jackson, but he wasn't Michael Jackson. The centurion had no telling how many emperors had come through, maybe one or two or whatever, but they all wanted to be called Son of God. But it got to the point where when he saw Jesus, he knew who the real one is. Can you go back to that last verse, please, again? The one where the centurion 
Yeah. So here's what I want you to think about. We got all of this stuff going on. We got, I mean, it's, it's a crazy day. Again, I was, I was thinking about, think about Good Friday. That was a long day. I, I was thinking about, it started out with, with Jesus praying in the garden. And then there's a lot of things that went on. I mean, uh, Peter betrayed, or Peter uh, betrayed, and and you got uh, Judas. Where Judas Iscariot betrayed, you got Jesus. I mean, Peter that that uh, after three times he he denied him, and and then you got you got Jesus beaten, and you got you got all kinds of crazy things going on that whole day. And then you get to the crucifixion scene in those three hours, all of everything going on, darkness. You've got Jesus crying out. You've got, you've got the temple being torn. You've got people looking for Elijah. You've got all of this stuff. And Jesus died, and, and nobody was really paying attention to Jesus except one man. So the question is, how did the centurion know Jesus was the Son of God? How was it only him? Actually, if you think about it, and we'll go through this here in a minute, if you think about it, the centurion was the first human that ever, that actually perfectly identified who Jesus is. The first one on earth that ever perfectly identified who Jesus is. How did the centurion know that Jesus was the Son of God? The answer is in that verse right there. What, what did the centurion do that nobody else was doing? No, no, look at the verse, son. Look at the verse. When the centurion who did what? He stood there in front of Jesus. Again, guys, I talked about all you got all this other commotion. People looking around everywhere. People looking for Elijah. People looking at the darkness. People looking at people hollering. People are hollering and screaming and all that. And at the end, there was only one that was perfectly focused on Jesus. Well, some of you say, because I know some of you are saying this, wait a minute. You said. The centurion was the first human that called Jesus correctly. There's somebody else who did it before. What are you all thinking? Who did that before? No, not John the Baptist. Somebody else did it. Peter. Remember Peter? When Jesus said, who do you, who do you say I am? Can, can, let's put that up there. If you got that next verse, uh, uh, yeah. Jesus and the disciples went around the villages of Caesarea Philippi on the way. He asked him, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the, one of the prophets. Well, what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Is Messiah the Son of God? Do I have that slide, what a, what a Messiah is? Did I put that up there or not? Is that there? No, 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 don't put that one up there. Hide that real quick. Oh, that's my punchline. So, uh, oh, don't put that one up there. But anyway, I, um, 
So here's the, so the Messiah, the Messiah, I'm reading this from one of my commentaries. The Messiah to the Jews was of an ideal king anointed and empowered by God to rescue his people from their enemies and establish his righteous kingdom. So when, when they were looking, when, when Peter said, you are the Messiah, he, he was right in a way. Because he, he, Jesus is uh, a king anointed, the ideal king anointed, and he is empowered by God to rescue his people from their enemies and establish, uh, and establish a righteous kingdom. But he didn't get the whole story. Because, y'all help me with this, you Bible scholars help me with this, because right after, right after Jesus, I mean, Peter said these things about you are the Messiah, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone. Do you remember what happened right after that? What happened right after that? Because Jesus came to him and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to go through all these things, I'm going I'm to end up dying. And what, what did Peter say? What did Peter say? No way. No way you're going to do this. And what did, what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Is Tim the only Bible scholar here? Y'all know this. So that actually, that actually tells us that even though Peter was really, really close, he understood about the Messiah and stuff, he was thinking of a political guy. He was thinking of a national guy. That was coming in. He he missed the second part about that. He understood he was the Messiah, but he absolutely missed about the suffering servant part. Because when Jesus said, Hey, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be taken up and I'm gonna and I'm gonna die and I'm gonna rise, raise, rise up three days later, Peter said, No way, ain't gonna happen to you. And Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan, because he didn't get the suffering servant part. It's only the centurion that got it all right. Do y'all hear me? He was the first one to get it all right. And how did he get it all right? Is when he did what? He focused on Jesus. Now you can put up the, the punchline. Everybody done saw it. I done blown the whole service now. But that, that's okay. It, this, is, this is here from thinking through the centurion, from thinking through all of us the way our lives should be. Look at this. It's only at the cross where one truly recognizes Jesus as the Son of God. Experiencing Jesus' sacrifice is where true confession, where faith in Jesus begins and sustains. Guys, I have gone through Mark. I've spent three years in the Gospel of Mark. I've read all about his beginning ministry. I've read about his healings. I've read about his teachings. I've read about his prophecies. I've read about his predictions. I've read about him traveling to all these places, of, of all the things that he's, he's done. But, but where you get the true, accurate picture of Jesus is not from his teaching, his prophecies, his healings, his all these things. They're important. But where we're going to really see Jesus, who He truly, truly is, is when we see Him at the cross. Y'all get that? It's only at the cross when we recognize that He's died at the cross, when he, what He has done for us at the cross, that's when we truly recognize who the true Jesus is. 
Everybody in the world's got a different identity of Jesus. Who do you, who is Jesus? And that's something I, I go when I go to uh, I do Bible studies over at um at some of the high schools around here and and I ask these kids questions. Who is Jesus? What did he do for you? And all that. And, and I'm telling you, and they're church kids in the audience. They're in the room. They all have a different answer. They all, they all got some idea about who he is. The true answer for who Jesus is is at the cross. When we are at the centurion, we get rid of all the noise around us, and we really see what he's done for us, who he is and what he's done for us, that's when we truly understand that uh, we'll truly get his identity as the Son of God. Amen. So one of the things that I've been doing at Crestview, I've been going through, because I've been doing this for three years, I've been in Mark chapter 15 for at least two or three months, probably three months or more. So every time... That, that I'm preaching about anything to do with that last week of Jesus, his, uh, his trial and his, his uh, arrest and his crucifixion, and even we're on, on the barrel right now. One of the things that I want to do that, that's important to me is, is I want to take communion. I asked Jernigan if we could do that today, and he said yes. And this, this, comes for, and this gets to the point of why I'm preaching this sermon today, because... This guy at the coffee table this Friday came to me and said, Jerry, every time you do communion, it, you seal the sermon. It, it puts it all together. It gets me to, to understand who Jesus is, and it gets me to reflect on him and understand who Jesus is. And, and when I get when I take communion, I'm, I'm like there, like the centurion. I'm looking at Jesus, and I say, truly, he is the Son of God. So that is what I'm going to ask you to do today. I don't, I don't have that little reading that everyone, that, that maybe you're supposed to do about the body and the blood. I mean, you know what that represents, right? I mean, do I need to tell you that? The body uh, represents Jesus, I mean, the, the bread represents Jesus' body. The, the juice represents, the grape juice represents his blood. And guys, this is a time to remember so all I ask you to do is, is I don't know how you do communion, just do it the way you do it. I, I think you, you just come up and you just partake of it yourselves, and that's, that's fine. But, but what I want to ask you to do is when you take of the bread and you take of the cup, reflect on who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. Without Him, we are nothing. We have, we have no hope. We have no life. We have no future. We have nothing without Jesus. And what happens at Crestview just about every time we do it, there's people that spend time at the altar because we, we always need this reminder, don't we? We don't need to forget this. We don't need to, we don't need to be like the, the folks at Old Faithful that's, you know what, okay, here we go. Okay, I'm taking communion today. Yeah, that's what we're supposed to do and all that. Guys, I want you to really focus today as we do this. Think about when you take the bread. Jesus, your body was broken for me. When you open the cup and drink it, this is the blood that we shed, the perfect blood. His perfect blood is what makes us right before God. I am right before God today. I'm ready for eternity right now. Are, are you?
Do you have that confidence? Not cockiness, but confidence. I know what Jesus has done for me. It's nothing about me. It's nothing about my goodness. It's all about what He did. He took on my sin. I got His righteousness. And I'm right with Him. And I'm forever going to be with Him. Let's stand, please. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for Your sacrifice. We thank You, Lord, for for what you did on the cross for us. Lord, it's, it's more than just dying to save us from our sins. Lord, when we really dig into it and think about it, Lord, it's, it is everything. You took on all of our sins that, that we know from reading Scripture that because of our sin, that we are hopeless and helpless. There is no way we can make it to the Father. But because of Jesus shedding that perfect blood, being the perfect one to shed that perfect blood, that, to, that now, Lord, we can be, we can, right now today, we can be right with you. We don't have to wait for eternity. We are right before you right now. I pray, Lord, that as we take communion, as we take the bread, as we take the drink, that, Lord, that we reflect on you, that we are, we are convinced in our mind of your truth, that you surely you are the Son of God. Lord, if there's some that needs to do business with you today, that, Lord, that you prick their hearts to do that, not to just do this part of the service just to do it, but, Lord, if there's something they need to do, that they spend time with you at the altar today. We thank you, Lord, for your word and your truth, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all come.